the corporate infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Dre Campbell, and this is Tell, a podcast where queer people tell queer stories. For the past five years, I've been hosting and curating a night of live storytelling at a queer bookstore in the city, Manhattan, that is. And I created this podcast to share these stories with the world. So if you need a dose of queer community or you just want to hear great stories told by the people who live them, you've come to the right place. So strap on your headphones and pull up your socks, because Tell is queering the narrative and telling our stories on our terms. Each episode of Tell will feature two stories that center around one theme. And today, the theme is past lives. Do you ever think of childhood as a past life that you're no longer connected to, but that you actually kind of are? Well, you're not alone. I'll introduce you to my former self a little later on. But first, we're going to go back in time with Shannon Metesky. Shannon is an actress, writer, director, producer, and organizer from Berkeley, California. In 2016, she created Queer Abstract, a monthly showcase that highlights QTPOC performers. She's also performed on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam, at the New Yorican Poets Cafe, at festivals across the United States, and currently works with Urban Word, NYC. Shannon's story was recorded in September 2017. Just a heads up, this story deals with some difficult things, and contains some language and content that may be offensive or triggering to some. Can everybody please give it up for Shannon Metesky? Woo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so yeah, when Dre met me, uh, I was like late to the party and trying to catch up on um, my alcoholism, so went straight into like bottles of wine. And um, plenty of storytelling. So you met me telling like funny, crazy story. Um, my obsession with Martha Stewart, it's real. Um, that was a good one. Um, it's a great one, I'll tell you anytime. Um, and uh, this is not that. This is more vulnerable and I'm just gonna, you know. Um, when Dre was like, the, the subject is past lives. Um, it's, I, what, what do I do with that? Um, there's like so many to pull from, but then also like where to start, right? So it was, it was tough. So whatever. All right. So I'm in Chicago, last year in college, and we're given an assignment in solo performance to do an Anna DeVere Smith style documentarian piece. So we have to interview a stranger and duplicate it and bring it back to class. No recordings, raw observations. So I'm at my favorite African restaurant and I see this man eating alone on the north side of Chicago. And I asked him if he'd be down, and he said he is. Then he tells me how he used to be homeless when he arrived here, and now he helps other people get off the street. I don't remember how we got there, but at some point in the conversation, he references me. He looks me up and down and does a one-up with his hand and says, see, you're well off. And I'm triggered. 
and I can't react because this nigga don't know shit about me and don't know nothing in my motherfucking story. See, in my past life, my mom was there and we would wander the streets of San Francisco looking for food or money or shelter. She was an addict, heroin, and all of her friends were prostitutes. I didn't know they were prostitutes, just nice, pretty women who smiled at me a lot. I had more hair, a different style of curl, softer. I wanted to be a singer. So my mom would prop outside the Oriental Theater, let me sing and count the coins from the theater goers. Once she crashed some fancy audition and we got kicked out, but she tried. She was as much mom as she could be. She liked drugs more than she liked being a mom. She liked men more than she liked herself. We lived in the Tenderloin, a neighborhood in San Francisco riddled with mental illness and addiction. No place in particular, just there. Motel to motel to garage to couch to corner. Cops knew my mother by name, knew her kids, knew me, knew she was going to be pregnant again before she did. Told her her days were numbered living like this. I stayed with my aunts when she gave birth to my baby brother. Each aunt had a man who beat her regularly. Every fight an opportunity to imagine a new life. Then one day, all my aunts were at a house. Still can't remember the event when the man came. Said he had to take me. That my mom violated her probation. So the women cussed and screamed and yelled like angry apes hanging from the porch banisters as I was led to the car. And I sat in the back seat of a black car, drove away, never to see that life again. But then I realized what I looked like. I was wearing a well-curated thrift store outfit, <laughs> distressed jeans, fancy blouse, a good shoe. It looked like I have money. It didn't look like I used my last $15 to pay for it. It didn't look like I was the daughter of a heroin addict. Can't tell that I was homeless once, too. Spent my formative years being my mother's pawn while she begged for money. Spent those years sharing motel rooms on the other side of a sheet as divider while she fucked and shot up and was more zombie than mom. Doesn't look like I went hungry with these healthy arms and this soft belly. Doesn't look like she'd use She'd use my dinner money to buy drugs. On the north side of Chicago, it doesn't look like I'm from the Tenderloin of San Francisco, where to this day, needles litter the street, crack pipes are as regular as cig cigarettes. Doesn't look like the most home I had was an apartment of my mother's pimp, or empty garages, or benches. Doesn't look like I was put into foster care with a hoarder. Doesn't look like I was her maid, her Cinderella, doesn't look like I've been raising kids since I was eight with my uncle's two-month-old on my hip because Uncle Darryl and his baby mama still couldn't kick the habit. It doesn't look like we went without water, but put on the good clothes when the social workers came. It doesn't look like my uncle pimped me to his friend so I can have school money or bus money or tampon money. Doesn't look like I was silenced at home and scared of my foster mother, that she never supported my art, my work, me, that I defied her by going to college, that I was doing it all alone with no support, no family, that I was still a night nanny, a cashier, an office assistant, and surviving on student loans that I still have no intention of paying back. 
that I have siblings who think I abandoned them, that I'm constantly scared of being homeless again, so I hoard any money I earn, hide it for a rainy day. Nah, it didn't look like that. Not there brave enough to interview a stranger. So I inhaled, exhaled, watched my last life pass before my eyes like a movie. Look at myself like, he's right. I am well off. I'm not where I used to be. I don't live that life. None of those lives. But I did. And I'm still here to tell the story. In my good shoe, good outfit, with my good job, living a new life as a poet, actress, producer, activist, organizer in New York fucking city. A life that as that little homeless girl, I always assumed was a dream. When Shannon told that story live, everyone in the room was just floored. She has an amazing presence. And if you want to experience it for yourself, you can find her at shannonmateski.com or on Twitter at Shannon Mateski. For those of you that don't know, the Tenderloin is a neighborhood in San Francisco. I would call it the Skid Row of San Francisco. That's the last ungentrified neighborhood. Although, actually, that's, that's probably not true anymore. But for years, the Tenderloin was a very poor area and home to the Jefferson Hotel, where I spent a part of my childhood living with my mom and two of my brothers. So the story you're about to hear, my story, takes place during that time. You're another one I'm dog, crying all the time. Does anybody recognize that? Recognize that? Elvis, Elvis Presley. That is uh, from my repertoire from when I was six years old. Um, it was 1977, San Francisco, and I was six years old, uh, and I was a ham. And uh, I was the youngest of nine children. And we lived in a, a poor neighborhood in San Francisco. And my mom was, grew up in the uh, 30s and 40s and was obsessed with, with movies, with movie stars. She read all the gossip magazines. She knew every movie star. She took me to old movies all the time. And, uh, and I was a ham. And so those two things sort of came together. And uh, she really believed in my talent, because I was always performing for my family, these impressions, uh, one of which was Elvis. And uh, you know, so one day, she really believed in my talent. She always was like, uh, you, maybe you should go, go somewhere, go talk to that guy. You might get discovered. Uh, go do this. You'll get discovered. It was like, you know, like, like the old movies, like on, in the 40s, when they're going across country and they're doing a musical, and someone gets discovered. So. <laughs> That was, that was in my head, it was in her head. And uh, so one day I said to my mom, uh, I don't want to go to school today, six years old. She says, uh, you know, fine with me. Uh, but she said, you can't uh, come to work with me. Uh, you're going to have to go to work 
with your brother. Now, my brother worked as a janitor in a nightclub in sort of a seedy part of uh, San Francisco. It was called The Palms. I don't know why she didn't have a problem with me going there and missing school. We, that's a whole other story, actually, and we'll get into that another time. Anyway, so uh, I uh, go to work with my brother, and uh, you know, I'm hanging out. I'm looking for stuff to do. I'm uh, a little bored, and uh, I've downed about three Shirley Temples at this point, so I'm, I'm starting to feel it. I'm a little amped. And I see that there's a, a stage in the palms, right? So I have in my head, you might get discovered. <laughs> in my own little workings, I don't talk about it with anybody. I, I'm just, I, got, I got this going in my head. I got my Shirley Temples in my system. And uh, I see that the, the owner has shown up, the owner of the palms. So I decide, I march right up to the stage, I get on stage, I don't tell anybody, I don't warn anybody, I don't discuss, I do my whole act. <laughs> my whole act that I've been killing with, with my family for some time. <laughs> and you know, I'd never performed on stage at this point. So I get up and I'm doing my act, I'm doing Elvis, I do Mae West, right? So I go, my left leg's Christmas and my right leg's New Year's. Why don't you come up and see me between the holidays? <laughs> I, yeah. Yep. Yes. Uh, I never knew why that was so funny at that time. <laughs> I just knew that whenever I did it, it killed, and, <laughs> and I got a lot of laughs, and I would, my brothers would be like, do the thing with the Mae West, <laughs> all the time. So I was like, I'm doing my Mae West, I'm doing my right leg, you know, that whole thing. I do Chuck Berry, this rock and roll thing, and I'm like, go, Johnny, go! And it's, you know, keep in mind, it's a six-year-old doing this, and I do uh, John Wayne. So I'm doing it, I'm up on stage, I'm up on this stage in the palms, I'm sweating, and the owner's... What the hell is going on? My brother's sweeping like, what the fuck? <laughs> she just skipped a step. I'm over here sweeping the floor, and she goes right to the stage. So <laughs> the owner comes up to me, and he goes, listen, kid, I want to book you <laughs> for Valentine's Day. You're going to open for a rock band called Pearl Harbor and the Explosions. <laughs> and uh, my, my name's Dre, but when I was little, I went, my name's Andrea. And he said, and we're going to call you San Andrea's Fault, San Francisco's Own Little Earthquake. <laughs> and I'm going to pay you $5. Whoa. So I was like, oh, I've been discovered. <laughs> I have been discovered. So I'm very excited, obviously. And you know, we're very poor. And I'm like, I'm going to get us all out of that situation, right? With my talent and my impersonations, my three or four minute act. So you know, I go back home. I tell my mom, I'm doing a show. So we're getting ready for it. Some weeks go by. We're going to thrift stores and buying feather boas for my act. And we're preparing. And we're talking about you know all these things. So it comes the night of the show. I go on, I, uh, it's a packed house, a packed house, San Francisco, 1977, the Polk Street. My mom's way in the back. She can't even get in. My brother's at the bar like, 
are you serious? What the hell? And, uh, you know, I get on stage, I do my act, and I close with, round them chairs in a circle, pilgrims, and get ready for Pearl Harbor and the explosions. And it kills. They go bananas. The whole place is just erupt. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. And um, it's very exciting. And I get off stage, and uh, the owner says, I was going to give you $5, uh, but you did so good, I'm going to give you $20. And it was, you know, I didn't even know that $20 existed. And <laughs> at that time, it was the 70s. That was like $100 in the 70s. And I was six years old. So it was like, I didn't even get the concept. So I, uh, you know, I ran back to my mom. I'm waving the $20. And so then I took the $20. I took my mom and my brother out for Valentine's Day dinner at a diner that night. And um, that was my very first performance. And I don't know if I was discovered or if I discovered performing, but I'm here right now still doing it. And um, come up and see me sometime. <laughs> That story was recorded at the San Miguel de Allende Storytelling Festival in October 2014. And I won the grand prize. It was very exciting. For more of my stories, find me at DreCampbell.com and on Instagram at DreBiz. That's D-R-A-E-B-I-Z. Thanks for tuning in. And queer folks, remember, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. So get out there. And tell queer stories! Dang it. Tell is created, hosted, and produced by me, Dre Campbell. The stories are recorded live on location at the Bureau of General Services Queer Division, a pop-and-pop bookshop and event space in the LGBTQ Center in Manhattan. Go say hi to Greg and Donnie, who run BGSQD, and tell them we sent you. Tell is recorded by Mariel Reyes and Onel Moulet and is edited by Mariel Reyes and Kyrell Palmer. Our theme song was written and recorded by Drake Campbell and Peter Letra. Emily Bogosian is the captain and Sasha Mathias is the bigger boat. Remember to follow us on Spotify, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google us on Google Play, and slide into our DMs at TellQueers or DreBiz on Instagram and Twitter. That's Queers and Biz with a Z. Tell is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.